This is the first day of this January 2021 online Rohatsu Seshin. Seven day Rohatsu Seshin, of course. <clears throat> and uh, I'm going to go back to <clears throat> one of the most illustrious of the masters, Japanese masters for sure, um, Zen masters. Which is Hakuin, Hakuin himself, the author of the uh, chant and praise of Zazen that we just recited. <clears throat> it's been a couple of years since I read from the teachings of Hakuin.、Uh, Roshi Kaplow used to、uh, read from it, gee, every, th- every third Taisho, <clears throat> every third Sashin. He would read from the writings of Hakuin. I think he felt、uh, with, with Roshi Kaplow's very strong, kind of fiery spirit, he felt a real, real、uh, special affinity for the teachings of Hakuin and Hakuin himself.、Um, over the years,、uh, I've come to feel that Hakuin, Hakuin's writings can. Cause problems for some people.、Um, he's, 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 his, he's so over the top in his、um, fierce language, and、um, that I've come to, to believe that there are people who hear. His teachings and are left feeling limp by comparison.、Um, also, when, you, <clears throat> when uh, uh, we've read、uh, for several consecutive days from, directly from Hakuin's teachings,、uh, frankly, it can get a little bit worn down by it. He's, he's、uh, He's given to、uh, exaggeration and、uh, the strongest, most wild kinds of language. And、uh, so I, I've kind of backed off in recent years. I think the last time I read Hakuin was、uh, two years ago. But, you know, I, I realized、uh, yesterday that <clears throat> to, for, for, there are people. Some of you have never heard the teachings of Hakuin, who's, who's arguably one of the two greatest of the Japanese Zen masters, Dogen、uh, being the other. And、uh, I thought it's time, and let's sort of throw caution to the winds, as, as, as Hakuin himself would, and、uh, just hope that people. Will feel inspired by this about what, what they can accomplish, what, what anyone can realize through this, and not make the fatal mistake of just seeing him as just some other creature that is beyond、uh, ordinary human beings. It's, a, it's quite a task trying to <clears throat> choose、uh, from. All the writings,、uh, all the books about Hakuin, I, 
I, uh, yesterday and today, I uh, was leafing through five books of his writings. Uh, one of them is, is, the whole book is just his autobiography. Um, so this, you'll have to be patient with me if I put down one text and go to another and then another. Uh, but I'm going to try to... Well, let me just say this. I'm going to start off with the a short, uh, a middle-length autobiography. Excuse me. Uh, no. Um, a, a, a biography. Not Hakoen's own words, but a biography of Hakoen... There's a there's a much shorter one in one of the books, um, and there are longer ones. But I thought I would go with, oh well, the middle way, and read from a book called Wild Ivy, the spiritual autobiography of Zen Master Hakuin. But before the, the the bulk of the book, the autobiography, the translator gives us a biography of Hakuin. And the, the translator is Norman Waddell, who has written at least three or four books uh, of uh, Hakuin's, translated at least three or four books of Hakuin's writing. So without further ado, uh, here we go with uh, Wild Ivy, the spiritual autobiography of Zen Master Hakuin. <clears throat> As always, I'll be uh, hopping around, skipping paragraphs and whole series of pages uh, as I think might be useful for the listener. Okay, his dates are 1686 to 1768. So he died just before the, uh, not long before the American Revolution. Uh, the in, in the translator's introduction, he he begins by noting that Hakuin was a, was famous as a writer and a painter and a calligrapher, but above all, as a Zen master who um, all but single-mindedly reformed the Rinzai school of Zen. Uh, the Chinese master Da Wei had done the same, but <clears throat> over time, over the centuries, and this was something like four or five centuries since Da Wei, uh, over time, uh, the teaching uh, deteriorates, like everything, the law of impermanence. And then comes this larger-than-life figure, Hakuin, I'll read a little bit more <clears throat> to give you a sense of what's unusual about Hakuin from uh, Waddell's introduction. He says, uh, the, the, the Zen tradition is one in which priests are, are priests, monks, until fairly recently. Monks are unusually tight-lipped about their personal stories, and uh, autobiographies are almost non-existent. But Hakuin left a record of his life and religious religious experience is that is without parallel in Japanese Buddhism. Uh, the translator goes on: this inclination to talk about his life increased with age, 
<laughs> that maybe that's not so uncommon for any of us as we increase in age. Uh, and that tendency of his in his 70s and 80s became a prominent feature of his teaching style. The uh, the main body of this book, this this book of his autobiography, uh, he wrote at the age of eighty one, two years before his death. Uh, the translator notes that in Hakuin's autobiography, that is, his own words, there is some degree of exaggeration and embellishment, an occasional stretching and bending of the facts. You'll hear some examples of that. <clears throat> Hakuin is usually the only source for the accounts he gives. Uh, and then he says, moreover, Hakuin relates many of his stories in more than one version. So, the translator steps in here and gives uh, his own short biography of Hakuin uh, based on a lot of good original sources. <clears throat> so yeah, he was born in 1686, January 19th, in the small village called Hara, of all names, Hara, which is a farming and fishing community. Uh, while Hakuin uh, was traveling as an adult, uh, eastern Japan was hit by several major natural disasters. When he was 18, uh, severe earthquake, tidal waves, and fires caused much loss of life and great destruction. And also, in his life, when he was still a young man, was the last eruption of Mount Fuji which devastated Hakuin's home province. This is just to give some background to what was going on, just as uh, those of us who are living today would be better understood uh, knowing the background of um, this year, this past year in particular, 2020, all of the uh, convulsions that are happening. Um, but to go on, he was the last of five children. He, uh, his mother was a devout Nishiran Buddhist, a different sect from Zen. Um, they're a pretty strong uh, emphasis on evangelizing the Nishiran Buddhists. The translator Waddell tells us that he seems to have been especially close to his mother. Hakuin describes her as a simple, good-natured woman who took pleasure in spontaneous acts of kindness and compassion. The translator says that many of the elements that distinguish Hakuin's lifelong effort to reform Rinzai Zen, for example, his extraordinary energy 
single-minded determination, his vehement denunciations of those he deemed unorthodox, seem somehow to have more in common with the militancy of Nishiren's evangelistic zeal than they do with the teaching style of Zen. Nishiren was a person, and this sect, this Buddhist sect, is named after him. Uh, the translator says that uh, the records of Hakuin's youth uh, include uh, numerous episodes um, that suggest a prenatal disposition to religious life. Though generally plausible, such stories are an indispensable element in conventional Japanese hagiography. And we have no way of knowing whether or when Hakuin is improving on the truth. <clears throat> it's always good to have both eyes open whenever we read a biography or autobiography and uh, just be aware that uh, there may be some departures from uh, the truth. But in all the accounts... Uh, Hakuin emphasizes the abnormal fear that gripped him at the age of 11 when he heard a famous, a famous Nishiren preacher describe in great detail the terrible punishments inflicted upon sinners who fell into one of the eight hot hells. And from that time on, he was tormented. Hakuin was tormented by the fear of hell. Uh, this this um, prominence of descriptions of hell is one of, uh, one of the uh, differences between the Nishiren school and the Zen school. Hakuin said it was this fear that drove him to seek a means of escaping such a fate. And so, to he was inspired to, uh, to in the, he was in, inspired to be follow ascetic practices as Siddhartha himself had been, and he embarked on a regimen of spiritual exercises, rising at first cock crow, reciting sutras, dousing himself with buckets of cold water, performing prostrations, praying to the gods for their help. This is still before. Zen. Uh, it's, and the biographer here, the, the translator writes that these boyish attempts at religious practice continued for several years without producing any noticeable results. Same as Siddhartha. He didn't, his six years of, of amazing austerities uh, didn't do it for him. That's why he turned to the middle way. So then, without any success in these severe practices, Hakuin concluded that his only chance of escaping hell and its terrors lay in the priesthood. <clears throat> oh, let me go back to this fear of hell um, and how it how it played out uh, 
when he was still a child. Uh, and I'm here going to read from his his own words from later in the book, the autobiographical uh, section. And I, I will do this occasionally because he's a magnificent writer. And by that I mean uh, colorful, um, wildly creative and expressive, evocative language, uh, what we call in Zen live words. So here's an example. And also <laughs> a little, maybe a little exaggeration. Here, here, here's Hakuin himself. I recall one particular occasion when my mother took me into the bath. She liked to have the water in the tub boiling hot. She wasn't happy unless the servant girl constantly stoked the fire with more and more wood and fanned it up into a blazing inferno. Flames would rush madly up and around, shooting out like angry waves. The water seethed and churned in the tub, making low, rumbling groans like thunder, striking a panic of terror into me. I let out howls of distress of such force they nearly burst the bamboo bands off the water buckets. People came running from all directions with looks of great alarm. They were sure something terrible had happened to me. And he goes on and on and on. Oh, well, a little more. <laughs> a little more then. Uh, his, his mother responded, I can't see what's so frightening about gurgling water. And then he quotes himself. <laughs> this is like age four or something. Mother, you don't understand. I can't even go into the bath without having my knees knock and my blood run cold. Just think what it'll be like when I have to face the burning fires of hell all by myself. What am I going to do? Isn't there any way to escape? Do I have to sit back and wait calmly until death comes? If you know something, please tell me about it. I want to know everything. Have pity on me. Save me. This intolerable agony continues day and night. I can't bear it any longer. And then his mother introduced him uh, to, well, let's see. Well, let's just stop there for now. <clears throat> I left off where he decided he wanted to be ordained. So his his parents, even his mother, uh, opposed it at first, uh, but then they, when he was 14, they relented, could see that they couldn't uh, stop him. Um, and he was sent to a, a temple in the a neighboring town. Where he served as an attendant to the, to the resident priest there. Let's use the word monk. These were monks back in the 17th century. This was before, uh, this is while still there was no uh, option to get married. So let's call them what they were uh, today in Japan and, and uh, the United States and West. Uh, we use the word priest, which I use for myself as well. 
because there is this option of, of getting married. Uh, but translators seem to prefer that word even when these were celibate monks. So one of the works that Hakuin read, uh, young Hakuin, 15-year-old Hakuin read, was the Lotus Sutra, which the translator here described as the most popular, famous and popular of all the Mahayana Sutras. It was also the central sutra of his mother's Nishiran school. Nevertheless, it says, after reading it through from cover to cover, cover, he reported being deeply disappointed to find, quote, it consisted of nothing more than simple tales about cause and effect. Uh, he didn't change this, his opinion of the Lotus Sutra, <clears throat> nor apparently ever even read it again, until the night of his final decisive enlightenment, about a quarter century later. He would then finally grasp its deep meaning and understand the reason why it was reputed to be the king of sutras. I have to uh, confess here that I've never been able to get any traction with the Lotus Sutra. Uh, other ones, yes. The uh, Diamond Sutra, the Platform Sutra, the Lankavatara Sutra, even the Vimalakirti Sutra, but the Lotus Sutra... Well, I'm just not yet there. I'm not there yet. Uh, maybe <laughs> after deeper enlightenment, <clears throat> I will be. <clears throat> when he was 18, he left that temple uh, for, a, for a training temple. It's, maybe not all of you know that uh, there are temples where there isn't really residential training going on. In fact, most most uh, Zen centers in the West uh, don't have residential training. Um, but he went to this place where there was some training and uh, he described himself as setting out in high hopes, eager to start his formal training, his mind filled with the stories he had heard of the hardships illustrious Zen figures of the past had overcome in their struggle to reach enlightenment. But uh, these expectations were dashed when he got, got there and he found that the monks were not engaged in the long, grueling sessions of Zazen he had anticipated. Instead, instead they were studying texts. Uh, at that time, it was a collection of Chinese Zen poetry. So that was quite a blow. He, his... his aspiration was just busting out to come to awakening and he finds these monks uh, studying Chinese poetry. But then the second blow uh, came soon after that where <clears throat> the, uh, the head monk there during his lectures uh, happened to comment on a, a koan that referred to the great Chinese Zen master Yantao, that's uh, in Japanese, it's Ganto. Uh, Hakuin's had was interested to read more, so he went to the temple library uh, 
to learn more about Yantao's life, Ganto's life, and learn that he had been murdered by bandits. But more than that, the account said that when they cut off his head, his death cry was heard for ten miles around. And this was hard for the young Hakuin to imagine, that if such a great monk, enlightened monk, could not protect himself from bandits, uh, what possible hope could an ordinary monk like him have of avoiding the fiery torments of hell in the next lifetime? This discovery dashed all the hopes and aspirations that Hakuin had at the time. And it, re it reads here, the translator says, Zen lost all interest for him. This is a, 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 a little <clears throat> point in Hakuin's life that I always want to uh, bring up because even someone with his, his uh, tremendous attainments, it was not smooth sailing. He had his rough periods. <clears throat> so it says he came to regard Zen and all it represented with intense dislike. And these are, these are his words. The mere sight of a sutra or Buddha figure was now enough to turn my stomach. This reference, this story of Ganto's being murdered um, I have a. I'm going to switch texts here now to another book of Hakuin's teachings called uh, the Zen Master Hakuin. Um, it, just a little bit more to to give you some of Hakuin's uh, writing ability. These are his own words. If such a thing could happen to a man who was like a unicorn or phoenix among monks, a dragon in the sea of Buddhism, how was I to escape the staves of the demons of hell after I died? What use was there in practicing Zen? What a fraud, Buddhism. How I regretted that I had cast myself into this band of strange and evil men. What was I to do now? So great was my distress that for three days I could not eat, and for a long time my faith in the Dharma was completely lost. Buddha figures and the sutras looked like mud and dirt to me. It seemed much better to read lay works, to amuse myself with poetry and prose, and thus to a small degree to alleviate my distress. Let me pause and suggest that Hakuin <clears throat> may have been diagnosed at the time as having a bipolar disorder. And I say that as no one with credentials, but uh, married to someone with some credentials in psychology, uh, because his his biography and autobiography both, but especially his autobiography, his own words, uh, in it he has these 
tremendous alternating uh, well this was the unusual one the 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 depression I would call this depression his his translator somewhere calls it uh, depression uh, it was mostly on the side of mania and by that I mean the wild creativity the exuberance the exaggeration the uh, wild emotionality And yes, maybe this wasn't the only episode of of uh, depression, uh, at least before his uh, his awakenings, plural. But now, moving along through the translator's uh, short biography, he went to a place. Uh, where there was a scholar monk known as Bao Rojin, Old Man Bao, B-A-O, who uh, was described as a scholar of wide learning. Uh, this was still when Hakuin had given up on the, on the practice of Zen and was uh, settling for just studying uh, literature. Bao turned out to be an extremely rough customer, with a particularly nasty temper. And the students who had arrived with Hakuin were soon discussing the need to move on and try their luck elsewhere. Hakuin, however, who seems to have respected Bao's ability more than he feared his bearishness, was determined not to be driven off. In the months that followed, he managed to develop a cordial, even affectionate relationship with Quote, the wild horse of Mino province. I include this in, in this very sc- scattered kind of uh, biographical sketch of, of uh, Hakuin because uh, of this particular this reference to the nasty temper. You know, uh, Yasutani Roshi was... Uh, reputed to have a, a, quite a temper. Roshi Kapo, I can vouch, had quite a temper. Um, just because you're a Zen teacher or even Zen master doesn't mean that you have flushed out anger. We'd like to think that someone after awakening is free of anger. But from everything I've heard and uh, can speak personally, uh, it's not the case. It's no different from other emotional afflictions that we come to practice with, that these things don't just disappear. Even through a, a pretty decent awakening experience, that these things persist in us the tendencies persist in us. So he spent time at this Bao's temple, and then he got word that his mother had died. Suddenly. In this in this autobiography, uh, in the the subsequent pages of this autobiography, he doesn't 
even mention his mother dying, which which says a lot. I'm not sure what it says, but if he was close to his mother and he doesn't even mention her dying, well, uh, in one of the biographies on record of Hakuin uh, is that by his uh, Dharma heir, Tore. Tore was a, 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 quite a great master in his own right. I I think I think a year ago, January uh, Sashin twenty twenty, I read from the teachings of Tore. That was before we knew what was coming down the pike with the pandemic. <clears throat> In Tore's biography of Hakuin, uh, he mentions that Hakuin's grief was inconsolable, and we can be sure that that kind of loss had a sobering effect on this young, still young Hakuin, and that, together with his growing realization that scholarly pursuits would not uh, settle his mind, uh, he went. He decided then to go back uh, to the Zen training temple he had abandoned and have another go at it. Now it gets interesting. The fear of falling into hell was still eating at him. And here are uh, Hakuin's own... Hakuin's own words. I had reached a total impasse, the fears still dominating my thoughts, no idea where to turn for help. Streams of tears ran unconsciously down my cheeks. My gaze happened to go up to the veranda of the guest hall where hundreds of books had been stacked on top of desks following the annual airing of the temple library. Remember, in those days, books were um, not what we know as books. Uh, they were, uh, uh, the word escapes me, different, different uh, kind of construction. But they would be opened up, they would be stretched out uh, for airing, uh, once a year, say, yeah. Here, so here he is at the the at its, his end of his wits, and he writes, "I lit an offering of incense before the books, performed twenty or so prostrations, and prayed earnestly to the gods and Buddhas for their help, telling them how four or five years after shaving my head, I was still at a loss." had no idea what to do with my life. Which of the paths, Buddhism, Confucianism, or Taoism, I should follow? I closed my eyes and slowly approached a pile of books on one of the desks. With my thumb and forefinger, I reached out and fished blindly among the stacks until I had fixed on a single volume. I pulled it out and raised it high above my head in veneration two or three times. Then I opened it. Those, that's the end of his words. And now the uh, translator 
of this book says he had chosen a work titled Spurring Students Through the Zen Barriers. Zen Barriers maybe refers to koan. Yes, it does. Koan collections. He opened, Hakuin opened the pages randomly to a passage describing the life and practice of the celebrated 10th century Chinese monk Zhu Ming. And now here's <laughs> here's the deal with Zhu Ming. That uh, while while sitting ferociously in Zazen through the freezing nights of northern China, Zhu Ming to 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 whenever he sensed that the demon of sleep was approaching, had jabbed himself in the thigh with a with an awl, A-W-L, a, a, a needle-sharp awl. The other, <laughs> the more <clears throat> conventional way to deal with drowsiness is uh, what I was saying this morning, during the morning sitting, is keeping your damn eyes open. And I, I say that with with some uh, spirit because uh, I just spent too many years with my eyes falling closed and bobbing in the, in the zendo. I'm speaking to myself now. So this this what this meant to Hakuin was someone who commits himself or herself to attaining religious awakening must push forward with unwavering determination, whatever difficulties he encounters, until the goal is reached. And then the following spring, Hakuin set off on what would be an extended pilgrimage that would last several years. Most of the teachers he encountered during this period uh, he described as being advocates of the passive, quietist religious practices he would later, in his writings, violently denounce for sapping students of the very thing he felt was absolutely essential to the spiritual quest. That is, a great burning tenacity of purpose, to use his words. He wrote, unless practitioners press forward with a spirit of fierce and dauntless inquiry, notice that word inquiry, those of you who are working on koans, they will never break free from Mara's net of delusions. It will cling to their bones, stick to their hides, until the last breath they draw. When he uh, was 23 years old, um, he met a senior monk um, whose exceptional spiritual strength uh, that had received Dharma sanction from masters of all three Zen schools. <coughs>
But then he, um, let's see. At this point, Hakuin had been wrestling steadily for some time with the Mu Koan. And uh, signs had appeared over the past year of an approaching breakthrough. He wanted to be alone to focus on his Zazen without distraction or interruption. So he hid inside a shrine room he found at the back of the temple for a week-long solitary retreat. As he was sitting there in the pre-dawn hours, pre-dawn hours, on the final night, the sound of a distant bell reached his ears. As it did, he finally crossed the threshold into Satori, or enlightenment. So intense was the experience, he was convinced that no one in the past 300 years had penetrated to such a glorious attainment. He spent, <laughs> he spent the next several weeks strutting around the temple, puffed, and these are his words, puffed up with a soaring pride, bursting with arrogance, and swallowing whole everyone he encountered, regarding them contemptuously as so many lumps of dirt. <clears throat> this, of course, is uh, the danger, especially after a deeper awakening, the danger of pride. How, anyone might ask, how, after having come to enlightenment, after having seen that our true self is no self, how can, how can we be proud? How can we be arrogant? It's a, it's a good question. It, it, it seems like quite a contradiction. The, the, the best way I think I could ever, how I was helped understand this through Roshi Kaplow's analogy. They say that when you, uh, when you cut off the head of a chicken, it may just out of this reflexive force keep scampering uh, for a few seconds or more. It'll keep scampering around with no head. This is, I think, a good way to understand that uh, how can how can there be pride after seeing into no self, uh, but. There is sometimes. And he was only 24 years old. So he had a lot, a lot of seasoning, yet uh, a lot of maturing he had to do. What is that, uh, that finding in psychology that... Uh, they found that the human brain is not fully developed until the age of 25. Okay, so get, cut Hakuin some slack. He still had another year of brain development um, before we can completely uh, blame him. And then Hakuin encountered... Uh, the elderly monk Shoju Rojan, the old man of Shoju Hermitage. And it didn't take long for this Shoju 
to deflate Hakuin's overweening pride and to disabuse him of the notion that his training was over. Just in the last couple minutes, let me read uh, Hakuin's own words about this experience with the temple bell. His, his, his sator, his awakening, his first of quite a few. At around midnight on the, on the final night of my practice, the seventh, seventh and final night of my practice, the boom of a bell from a distant temple reached my ears. Suddenly my body and mind dropped completely away. I rose clear of even the finest dust. Overwhelmed with joy, I hollered out at the top of my lungs, Old Ganto is alive and well. Ganto, remember, is the one who was murdered by the bandits and let out this tremendous cry when he was. That was the 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 anecdote he heard that it caused so much doubts in his mind about the efficacy of Zen. My yells brought my companions running from the monks' quarters. We joined hands and they shared with me the intense joy of the moment. After that, however, I became extremely proud and arrogant and so forth. I think this is a good time to leave off uh, for now um, as he's about to <laughs> Uh, have the shit kicked out of him by this shoju rojin and we'll pick that up uh, tomorrow and stop now and recite four vows <laughs>